Attention comedy musicians and comedy music fans. The Logan Awards are taking open nominations for outstanding comedy songs and videos released last year for this year's awards. Did you release a comedy song or music video in 2021 or have a favorite comedy song or video that was released then? Then nominate it for the Logan Awards today. The Logan Awards are essentially the Comedy Music Awards, sponsored annually by the Funny Music Project and are presented in three categories. Outstanding Original Comedy Song, Outstanding Parody Song, and Outstanding Comedy Music Video. If you have a comedy song that was released in 2021 that you'd like to nominate for 2022's awards, head to loganawards.com and click the Nominations tab at the top. There is a minimum and maximum of five nominations per person. Hurry! Nominations close this year on January 22nd. For more details about Logan himself, the awards, and more, check out loganawards.com. Help us commemorate this year's best comedy songs and music videos with a trophy, the way they do with every other form of entertainment. But if you want your favorites to win, you have to nominate them by January 22nd, 2022. Get your nominations in now at loganawards.com. Brought to you by thefump.com. I'm JP Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as Disney catalog fans, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hi, Kiki. Hi, Tuesday. What? What a week it's been. After, you know, we talked about this. Uh, this episode is going to be dedicated to Betty White. However, after we recorded last week's episode, we got the news of the legendary Sidney Poitier's passing. And right before we record this episode, we learned of the passing of Bob Saget. Betty White, Sidney Poitier, Bob Saget, just gut punch, gut punch, gut punch. Yeah, um, if you're wondering the... Uh... Disney connection um, for the the other two. Uh, Sidney Poitier was actually on the board of directors for the Walt Disney Company from 1995 to 2003. May, may be a lesser known part of his career. Raisin in the Sun and guess he's coming to dinner heat it's of just the night yeah heat of the night um it, interestingly another uh disney connection there when they have pumbaa and the lion king say they call me mr pig they call me mr tibbs they call me mr pig ah! and he um, was he was just a few years younger than betty white i think it was 95 96 uh, 94 when oh. he passed. Yeah. So, so yeah, not, not terribly, uh, far off there. Yeah. Portia breaking down record uh, breaking down barriers. Uh, you know, the first black actor to be nominated for the best actor award at the Academy Awards and the first black actor to actually win that award. Not in the same year, but it, it happened. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, Born born in the Bahamas, um, when it was still a 
colony of the British Empire and learned to read just so that he could become an actor. Uh, learned to read just so he could read scripts and audition because he wanted to become a film actor. He became a legend, a legend not only a legendary actor, but a legendary director as well. And he uh, ended up getting a knighthood by Queen Elizabeth II in, uh, in the 70s. Um, one pretty much every acting award there was to win. Uh, one of the, the best uh, of his generation, if not of all time. Just uh, incredible talent. I'm not sure we'll ever see that like again. Uh, a great loss, but uh, not not quite as unexpected, sad to, to say, uh, given his age, as uh, it was with uh, Bob Saget. Yeah, Bob, um, Sag- Bob Saget, Full House. America's TV dad, uh, of course, the original host of America's Funniest Home Videos, which is still on the air. I'm surprised I actually found out. Yeah, um, that's, Alfonso Ribeiro that's kinda, is actually the current host. Yeah, yeah, um, that's that's actually the the main kind of Disney connection for him. That's that's always been a Disney property. It's um, on Disney Plus. America's Funniest Home Videos is on Disney Plus. Yeah, um, Full House, although it did air on ABC. Um, not a Disney property. Uh, a lot of people think it is because uh, it had the. It was part of part of that original TGIF lineup. It was one of the many sitcoms that went to Disneyland. So they think all all of those sitcoms that went to Disneyland ha- were owned by Disney. Yeah, it's it's not. It's a, a Warner thing, I believe. Um, but uh, funny Hold home up. videos. Yeah, yeah, there there's your there's your Disney. Before um, YouTube, we had America's Funniest Home Videos. Yeah, and I actually went back and watched some of those those episodes, and uh, man, he had the perfect delivery for that. It's it's very very sad. Um, his final social media post was just hours before his death, and. He had been back doing stand-up and was apparently very, very happy and very optimistic about a new direction he was going with his stand-up show and was talking about looking forward to doing that. Um, If if you've never seen Bob Saget's stand-up, the complete opposite of his TV persona his TV persona is very squeaky clean, and I don't just mean that as a pun on Danny Tanner, but you know he was always you know he was the TV dad. He was like the you know even on America's Funniest Home Videos he was just a squeaky clean guy, but went full blue as they say on stage. Yeah, all all you need to do is uh, look, look up, up his uh, half baked his his cameo in half baked. I I was going to say watch the Aristocrats. Oh yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> in which he basically outdoes everyone else in that uh, documentary. <laughs> uh, or maybe uh, 
you know, if if you if you cannot handle blue humor, I, I'm not even sure that's that's the right word for it. I mean, it is it is a documentary about the quote unquote filthiest joke in all of comedy. Um, but uh, it's a, it's a good documentary, but you you have to be able to handle quite a bit of obscenity and offense to be able to sit through that that documentary uh apparently um the news of his death broke during a broadcast of america's funniest home videos and so they actually broke into the the program to announce it which i i think is such an absurdly offensive thing that Bob Saget would have kind of loved that. <laughs> I think only Bob Saget could have gotten away with that. <laughs> yeah, it's like <laughs> I will preempt this feel-good show for the news of my own death. It seems like a very Bob Saget thing to do. Um, so uh, yeah, but uh, apparently, despite all of his uh, kind of offensiveness on stage, he was apparently the nicest person in Hollywood um, and would would not speak ill of anyone off stage. Um, he would he would roast you absolutely on stage. Um, but off stage did not have a, a mean word to say about anyone. Um, it was it was all a part of the act, you know, it was. Mm. And even part of the act was him making fun of him being known as the TV dad, you know? Oh, yeah. You know, that was, he played into the, he played into it. A great, great loss to to comedy and a great loss to acting, I guess. So. I mean, like I said, within two weeks, we lost one of the great female comedians in Betty White, one of the greatest stand-up comedians in Bob Saget, and a great comedic director in Sidney Poitier. Yeah, it's the world he's of comedy lost is a such lot. a dramatic actor, but he had such an eye for comedy in his directing. Yeah, stir crazy with Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder. Yeah, so it's it's like the world of comedy lost three icons within two weeks. Twenty twenty two is not <laughs> pulling any punches. It really is twenty twenty two, isn't it? Uh yeah, we had hoped it wouldn't be, but there we go. Betty White, Cindy Poitier, Bob Saget. We drink to you. Yeah. And keep drinking and keep drinking. Keep. But we are here today to talk about one of the great comedy series of all times, honestly. The Golden Girls. Thank you for being a friend. That theme song will stay in your head forever. <laughs> Thank you for being a friend. Travel down the road. Yeah, you know, we we've talked about it a few times on the show. Just we are out of the well, let's just say it, the golden age of of TV theme songs, and I miss TV theme songs so much. Yeah, now it's just a t- you, sometimes you don't even get an intro. You get the start of the show. Maybe a, yeah, you like get one note. That. 
Yeah, or not even at all. They, you, you just get the title of the show on the screen, and then just, boom, the episode starts. Yeah. Or but, the title as the episode is starting, you know. It's, yeah. But uh, but this one, great, great uh, opening theme song. Written by the written by Andrew Gold, and which was a hit for him in the seventies. And if you threw a party, invited everyone you knew, well, you would see the biggest gift would be for me, and the card attached would say thank you for being a friend. I will say that uh, they assembled possibly the best cast in history for this series um we got the legendary b arthur as dorothy i guess you can kind of have i guess you can kind of say she's kind of the main character of the of the golden girls even though it was an ensemble well yeah they they got four women who were all very well known by the time they ended up on this show um, I guess B. Arthur, uh, would have been one of the standouts because she had come off of a very successful series of her own just a few years beforehand. Of course, she had been Maud, and then, of course, Betty White was just the queen of television for decades. She had been working in television since the advent of television we didn't just lose you know a golden girl or you know a a queen of comedy or what we lost the best password player who ever lived okay and as a huge fan of password like that really hit me all right you do not understand how dominating this woman was at password but then of course she had also done Mary Tyler Moore show for years. Um, and she had played Sue Ann Nivens on that show who was basically Blanche. The, the, the man hungry kind of woman. Yeah. Um, and she, she was Sue Ann Nivens, the happy homemaker. And she did the cooking show on the, I don't know how, how much you watched Mary Tyler Moore. Um, but I was obsessed with it as a kid. It was, it was one of the, the constants on Nick at night when I was growing up and I watched Nick at night every single night. And yeah, you mentioned Mary um, Tyler Moore not long, not long ago, we lost Ed Asner too. Yeah. Her Sue Ann Nivens character on there was the, her persona on her TV show was, it was very Martha Stewart and I'm talking old school Martha Stewart before she hooked up with Snoop. Okay. It was very much, I am the prim and proper cooking show. You know, I, I will do my cooking show. I will tell you how to be the perfect housewife and keep your house neat and tidy and make the perfect souffle. And then as soon as the cameras were off, she was rubbing at Asner's bald head and being like, why don't you come back to my bedroom and I will show you what to do with your hands and, you, you know, like. <laughs> it's like anytime a man walked in the room, he was like, a man, you know, <laughs> okay, so that was her character, so she was basically Blanche, and when they cast the show, they were like, 
oh, well, we need a randy older lady to play Blanche. Why don't we get Betty White? Because she did that for years on the Mary Tyler Moore show. And we know that she can do those off-color jokes. And instead, they were like, well, instead of her just being Sue Ann Nivens part two, you know, she was like, I don't, I don't want, I don't want to be typecast for another series as, you know, the man chasing sex crazed woman. So at the last minute, they were like, well, why don't you be Rose? Yes, the very naive Rose. Yeah, and the cool thing about Rose was that apparently a lot of those, like once she said she had trouble figuring out who Rose was. Because all the other characters had very clear, like B, B. Arthur as Dorothy, I, I mean, I hate to say it, but it was just kind of, Maud again. It was just B. Arthur kind of in a lot in in most of those sitcoms. She just kind of played B. Arthur. Um, so it was a very similar character to what she had played before. And Blanche was just she's southern and she chases men and makes jokes about you know sex <laughs> sex. So uh. And Sophia was just, she says mean, snarky things because that part of her brain has been damaged. She's old. She don't give an F anymore. Yeah, it's just whatever is the first thought in her brain, no matter how mean it is, she says it. Okay, fine. But Rose was a very difficult character. There's not, you know, it's kind of a throwback to some of the ditzy blonde characters but you know usually ditzy blondes are also sex pots but that's not rose you know she's very sweet and childlike but she does have a bit of an edge to her you know it's a rose is a very kind of singular character so i can see why she had trouble with it but after she got who rose was Apparently, a lot of those St. Olaf stories were her just ad-libbing. There's a great outtake that kind of circul- circulated social media after after her passing, where she's doing one of these stories, and B. Arthur and Rue McCallahan are just breaking. They're just, they're trying to keep it going, trying to keep straight faces, and they can't. <laughs> I'm not even sure that was an outtake. I think that's just in the episode. <laughs> Yeah, but I just, it's, it's so, it's so adorable, and it's such a, like I said, such a kind of singular character. I can't really think of another character that's like Rose, and it really is just such a creation of Betty White after that, you know, after I think she kind of clued into where the, the character was going. I think she she kind of shaped a lot of that. They she said that they um they told her that she was that Rose was terminally naive. And after that she said she got it. But if you cross Rose. 
Oh yeah, but Hell she, no she had such an edge, which I loved. Um, we'll talk about it when we get to the episodes. Yeah. Um, but but mo- moving on t- uh, to round out the the cast. Uh, but, is Blanche. Yeah, we got uh, you know, our, finally we ended up with our Blanche in Rue McClanahan, and so Rue McClanahan had uh, worked with B. Arthur on Maud before she ended up on the Golden Girls, and. Uh, she had also worked on Mama's Family, uh, and Mama's Family had uh, also had some guest appearances by Betty White. Um, I, I don't, I don't think that uh, Betty White and Rue McClanahan were ever in the same episode on Mama's Family, but uh, I'm not entirely sure on that. But yeah, so. Uh, a lot of sitcom overlap uh, at the time. Uh, but she she ended up getting the part as Blanche. And if you watch the pilot, Blanche doesn't quite have her southern accent yet. But as they were retooling uh, for the, the full series, she told the producers that she really wanted to play Blanche as a kind of Mae West uh, kind of thing. And so she added the kind of Southern accent to help her uh, get a kind of Southern take on a Mae West kind of character, which, you know, Mae West, not, southern but you know she she wanted that kind of heavy accent to help her kind of deliver those those lines i just love everything about her portrayal you know mm-hmm. in, in that um it's so over the top, but somehow it kind of works. Um, she's one of the few people who, you know, I've, I've got my, you know, I've got my my little skin crawlies about non-Southerners doing the uh, Southern accent thing, but for some reason, it it's too adorable with her. <laughs> And then, of course, rounding out our our foursome, uh, we have Estelle Getty. Um, Estelle Getty is Sophia, who has the most connections to every other show. Because not only she's on the Golden Girls and Golden Palace, but you know, Empty Nest, Nurses, and Blossom. Yeah. This character was all over primetime TV way into the mid '90s. Yeah, mad about you, the yeah. nanny. As Sophia, as Sophia, like like this is yeah. Estelle Getty as someone else. This is Estelle Getty as Sophia. So this character just lived on and on and on, way past the Golden Girls. It was it was kind of interesting because she was cast as the oldest member. Yeah, she's, you know, you know. B. Arthur's mother, but uh, I believe she was the youngest cast member. Uh, she was not the youngest. Uh, Rue McClanahan was the youngest, but she was younger than B. Arthur okay. by a year. 
So she was, but she looked because of her, her height and, um, so much smaller and, um, less kind of imposing than B. Arthur was, uh, she, she just seemed kind of frailer and, and older. Um, so she was cast to play like 20 years older than she was. Um, so she was basically the same age as the rest of the cast, but Sophia is supposed to be like a good 20 years older than the rest of them. And of course um, the name, the golden girls refer to the golden years of your life, your fifties, your sixties, when you're reti- reaching re- retirement age. Oh, that's so funny nowadays. <laughs> yeah. A thing we will never get. Yeah, we're in our 40s and trying to start a career, um, much less end one. Uh, Interestingly, uh, it has been pointed out that the women of the Golden Girls are actually younger than the women on the current reboot of Sex and the City. We've talked about, you know, how we have women who are in their 50s now who... Well, uh, we kind of talked about it, Mar- Marissa Tomei and and Ming Na Wen, and you know they're in their fifties, but they don't look in their fifties. And then you have these women in the Golden Girls who are fifty and sixty year old women who look like fifty. And, you know, honestly, they you know they, with the makeup and the wigs they give and make them look older. Well, and- I I think they were supposed to be roughly. I, I think the the median age for them was supposed to be about 54 in the the premiere of the show. So that that's what we're working with here. Yes, and so you get the the general notion of most people when they think of an 50 year old woman, they'll think of the Golden Girls. This is what a 50 year old woman looks like. And you look at the real life 50 year old women, and they're still very much attractive. Very, you know, they're they're still doing it, as it were. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, though, is that it's it's also, you know, changing a society. Yeah. Um, people were retiring. I mean, when this show came on, this was my grandparents' age. They had retired by that point. You know, this was... This was roughly the the age that, you know, my grandmother loved this show when it was on. And these women were roughly her age. This was kind of, you know, I mean, my, you know, her, my grandfather was still alive at the time, you know. So it was, um, she wasn't a widow like the, the women in the show. But, you know, this was a thing that, you know, she looked like the, the women in the show. She acted sort of like the women in the show. My my grandmother was a very conservative church-going woman compared to the women in the show. But um, it was the time. It would be different now, of course. You're talking about people in, in their early to mid-50s would be older gen x at this point it's a very different um thing and also 
medical science has gone, you know, you wouldn't really be uh, retired, even though there are at least two of them still work mostly. Yeah, in, you in know? the series, yeah. Blanche in the show works at the museum. Rose is a grief counselor, and Dorothy is a teacher. Yeah. So they're still working. Um, they might not uh, work full time. I, I, it's it's hard to tell. Depending on who's writing the episode that day. Yeah. Um, and a lot of a lot of people, even after they retire from their their main career, did, and still do, you know, um, work part time. Uh, so. So it's it's an interesting thing of uh how how they're you know set up and how they're living um whereas today depending on you would start looking at people to retire in their 60s if not later you would uh, not think about certain certain things that they talk about in the show uh, as being happening until later in their lives things like that so it's it's interesting to see how the changing nature of society has gone on um in just kind of what we think of as different phases of our life as well in that if you would if you were to show people this series now and say what do you think the ages of the women would be you know i think people would not guess that they are as young as they are meant to be um so except for sophia i think i think people would probably guess um that Sophia is probably meant to to be around the same age. And this is a straight up Disney owned series, pretty much from the beginning. At least from yeah, pretty much from the beginning. Uh, in some countries, this this uh, show is on Disney Plus. It is not on Disney Plus in the United States where we're, where we're at. Uh, we are watching it on Hulu itself, uh, mostly owned by Disney. It's weird. Yeah. I mean, when you say that to somebody, they're gonna like, no, no, this is not a Disney-owned series. There's no way. But it it is a Disney-owned series because all four of these women were named Disney Legends in 2009 because of the Golden Girls. So all four of these women, B. Arthur, Betty White, Rue McClanahan, and Estelle Getty, are Disney Legends due to their work on the Golden Girls. There are still people that I know to this day who don't accept Star Wars and Marvel as Disney. You know, like, uh, I know Disney owns, but I don't really see that as Disney, you know? And I can kind of see, like, a lot of the shows that Disney owns, especially like the Golden Girls, which does deal with a lot of serious subjects, as we'll get into, that that's a little too much, that doesn't fit the Disney mold that so many people have, you know? It is. I mean, it's it's there. <laughs> yeah. So, um. All right. So let's actually get talking about the actual series, and no better way to start 
then with the very first episode, the pilot. Uh, also, Liz, also called the engagement. Also, just called the Golden Girls, at least as far as Hulu is concerned. So yeah, in this episode, uh, Blanche meets her new boyfriend, and uh, pretty much as soon as they start dating, he asks her to marry him. And uh, that whole "we're not getting any younger," and they decide to just have this wingding fly-by-night marriage. The only problem is, is that uh, this might, you know, if if Blanche and her her new boyfriend get married and he moves into Blanche's house, this will displace uh, Dorothy and Rose, who live. With Blanche. The three of them are roommates and they live in a house owned by Blanche. Yeah, it's, this is the, the setup of the series. The house is owned by Blanche, was where her and her husband lived up until his death. And uh, we learn Rose when her husband had passed on. And we learn that Dorothy uh, is a, divor- a divorcee after her husband left her for a younger woman. A flight attendant, in fact. <laughs> There's a great joke there. Uh, I don't think we can pull it off on a PG podcast, but uh, it's it's worth watching the episode for that uh, for that, that delivery. Um, B. Arthur is so dry in her comedy; it's just amazing. Yeah, but so yeah, so, yeah they they move to Miami ju- uh, to start a new life, and they find a want ad. Full roommates wanted with with Blanche, and they enter the wanted, and this is where we pick up the story. They have been living with Blanche for a bit. We, it's never stated in the episode proper how long they've been living there, but the three of them live together with their pilot only housekeeper or friend or he's, I'm not he's sure. A what he, cook. He's a cook. Yeah. Coco, their gay friend. The fancy man, as Sophia calls him. Yeah, there there are a couple kind of they were progressive jokes at the time. Now they have not aged terribly well, but I will say that that uh, Estelle Getty, Rue McClanahan, <laughs> B. Arthur, and Betty White all were kind of known to be very progressive and. Friends and allies of the LGBT community. Uh, Betty White almost had her career ruined right at the start of it because she advocated for equality with uh, black actors, having black actors on her original show. Sponsors sponsors were pulling out because she was having black actors and black musicians on her show. Yeah, and uh, specific to... uh, the fact that there is a a gay cook in this first episode, um, both Rue McClanahan and Estelle Getty were known to be huge advocates for the gay community during the AIDS crisis, which was going on at, at the time. They were well known in the in the community for being advocates. B B Arthur as as well. Um, when when she passed, you know, she she left a large chunk of money to, you know, a center that helped homeless 
uh, LGBT youth and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, all four of these women were great advocates and allies to the community. So the fact that this is here right from the first episode, not a mistake. Okay. The fact that some of these jokes seem a little backwards today is a sign of progress, but not a sign of malice, let's say. Like you like even the even the jokes that are like eh are 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 like that. You know, like, you look like, at it. Sophia and you go doesn't like, look, Sophia doesn't look down on Coco just because he's gay. You know, he's he doesn't she doesn't say any disparaging remarks. He just calls him a fancy man. Yeah, it's just And like, in fact they the two end up friends at the end of the episode. Like me and the fancy man are gonna are gonna go out are are gonna go hang out later. Yeah, and they're like you you know he's he's gay right and they're like oh yeah well of, of course we're just going to the the dog track we're gonna go bet on on dog races um but uh so I I think I think it's really kind of cool but the only problem is is that that character did not work in the episode yeah I mean this is his only appearance in the show. Yeah, it and and when they retooled it, it just it doesn't work. But um, yeah, as as they're as they're as they're worrying about their you know the living situation, the doorbell rings and they think it's gonna be Blanche's boyfriend, and it turns out to be Sophia who just wanders in and goes, "Well, my nursing home burned down. I live here now." Yep. So that's Sophia's entrance to the to the series. Is she's just like, you put me in a home, and uh, that burned down. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just gonna live with you now. And fortunately, there's a spare bedroom. <laughs> so, um, the interesting thing is, is that we do get an explanation in this first episode for why. Sophia is kind of mean. Yeah, they say um, Rose says that she had a stroke, which is probably why she ended up in the home to begin with. So yeah, she has no uh, filter. No, no filter. I was gonna say. I'm trying to find a way to say it. Yeah. She, yeah. She has no filter. She's just whatever is on her mind. She's just gonna say it out loud, and oftentimes those end up being mean comments. Yeah, they do, they don't really bring it up, I guess, a lot in the rest of the series. At least I don't really remember it being a repeated thing in the it, series. It, it just becomes part of her personality. She's, I mean, honestly, if you hadn't watched the pilot and you just go by the episodes as they are, you just see her as this old woman who just doesn't care what anyone thinks. She's, she's going to say whatever's on her mind, and if you don't like it, too bad. Which is probably why so many people love the character of Sophia. So as we go on with the rest of the thing, Rose starts getting a bad feeling about this marriage. Uh, Dorothy kind of plays it off, or you're just worried that we're going to get kicked out because she's going to have her new husband here. No, 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 I need to tell Blanche something's wrong, something's wrong, I got a bad feeling. And um, it kind of does, because the the wedding is here, you know, the the... They have guests, they have the reverend, they have everything set up, but uh, 
no groom. And they're wondering what's going on, what's taking so long. Even the gro- even the, the, the reverend's like, I, I got a funeral to get to. I, yeah, I like he says, it's Florida. I've got many, I got a lot of funerals to get to. <laughs> oh, has that aged well? Well, no, but I mean, it's still, I mean, Florida's where you go to retire. So it's like, it's still, I mean, it's a little bit worse now, but you know. Mm-hmm. It's an evergreen joke. <laughs> and of course, we get the policeman that uh, that uh, the policeman who has told uh, told Blanche that her boyfriend has been arrested because of bigamy. Apparently, he has married several women all around the country. And was going to make Blanche the next wife of his. Yeah, interestingly, the police officer is uh, portrayed by Meshach Taylor, who is best known for his role on Designing Women, another show about a group of women uh, in the in the southern-ish geographical area of the U.S. Florida is not the south, so I won't say it's the southern U.S., but, you know. And this news devastates Blanche. She's like, she can't even speak. She can't even, she can't read the note her boyfriend left for her. They mentioned that she hasn't gone to work in weeks. She's going to lose her job. She's just completely devastated that over what happened. Which is very different to what we would, the portrayal of Blanche in later episodes. The the characters are not quite set in this first episode. Sophia is basically Sophia. And like I said, B. Arthur is basically playing the same character she always plays in Dorothy, but um Rose and and uh Blanche here do kind of take a, a minute to get settled. It is interesting to to see these two characters kind of work their their way out like i said before blanche doesn't have her her southern accent yet she's also a bit more fragile rose talks about her needing a man that that blanche really just she needs to be with a man she needs the companionship of a long-term relationship uh and that rose is very worried about what might happen to her and rose is more vicious i guess you'd say and a bit more with it you know she she's a bit more observant yeah not as naive as she would be in in every other episode of the series yeah but again this is a pilot they're still trying to work out who these characters are and they haven't gotten there yet it's good and the the point is that the humor is there yeah. The the jokes still land even if some of them are dated and you can see all of the pillars of the show. Blanche has already got her her bodiness to her. Rose is already a little bit dim even though it's not quite there yet. You can already see that they're setting that up dorothy and sophia are pretty much set and they've already got their 
the, their quirks are already in place. Well, they've already got their rapport between them as mother and daughter. The the thing that doesn't really work, of course, is the is Coco, unfortunately, and so that that had to be retold. Uh, he was just literally quite literally a fifth wheel in this show. He doesn't do much in the first move in the first episode. He doesn't do much in his episode at all. He's just there. He cooks and then he just says a a, a quick one liner here and there. But you know, it's a it makes sense why this character was written out because it just you really needed the it didn't work with the dynamic of the four of them. But it's it's good as a as a starter and it's not as off-putting as a lot of television pilots are where you're like oh wow they they really had to make a lot of changes to make this work how did the show get greenlit with that pilot yeah. um but you can tell that they they had almost all the pieces in place by the by the time they even filmed this so that it's it's good it's it's a good start to the series yeah yeah obviously yeah so let's um Let's move on to season two. Season two, episode five. Isn't it romantic? Now, in this episode, Dorothy's old friend from school, Jean, has come over to visit after the passing of her partner, Pat. And I said, yeah, partner, because uh, Jean is gay. Jean is a lesbian. This episode has to do with that. And uh, Dorothy is Right off the bat, Dorothy is very accepting of her friend. She has known for years that uh, Jean Jean's gay, and the first shocker is knowing is Sophia knowing that Jean's gay. And I love the line that Sophia says is so perfect. <laughs> Jean is a nice person. She happens to like girls instead of guys. Some people like cats instead of dogs. Frankly, I'd rather live with a lesbian than a cat. Unless a lesbian sheds, that I don't know. She's always known. She's never cared, as far as Sophia. You know, mm-hmm. she she always knew. She never cared. She's uh, Sophia says during the episode that if one of her children had been gay, she also would not have cared. She just wants them to be happy. It becomes a thing of when Jean shows up, Dorothy asks. Basically, how out are you? My mom figured it out on her own, but my roommates do not know, and I have not told them. Uh, good allyship there, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not her place to have outed Jean, mm-hmm. um, especially in a time when this is 1986. So yeah, yeah. 1986. It's it's not not necessarily the the most open of times. Pat is a gender ambiguous name, so they had all just assumed that it was her husband that had recently passed. Dorothy says, you know, would you like me to tell them or would you like me to just let them assume what they're going to assume? And Jean says, well, you know what? You know your roommates better than I do. You you tell them based on how you think they're going to respond. Like, if it's going to be a problem for them, we'll just let them assume. If you think they're going to be accepting, I'm okay with them knowing I'm not really hiding. 
And then in comes Rose with ice cream, and then Jean says, yeah, let's keep it a secret. <laughs> yeah, um, Rose is so adorable because she decides that the best way to make Jean feel better over the recent death of her partner is to make clown-shaped ice cream sundaes with little sugar cone hats and jelly bean eyes and all that kind of stuff. So. It's adorable. <laughs> It's adorable, but also clowns, no, 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 Rose, no. Uh, ice cream, yes, clowns, no. It turns out that Jean and Rose have a lot in common. They were both raised on farms, and they like the same kind of movies, and they, they like playing cards late into the night. And They have, yeah, they have a lot yeah. in common, and, and Jean starts to fall for Rose. Yeah. To the point where it kind of, you know, Jean says, maybe I shouldn't st- stick around much longer because she's not sure how Rose is going to react to finding out that Jean is a, is a lesbian. And that Jean is developing kind of strong feelings for Rose. And, you know, Jean confides in Dorothy and Dorothy ends up confiding in Sophia, who is staying in Dorothy's room so that Jean can have the spare room. There's a nice B-plot here where Sophia starts renting porn tapes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sophia goes out to, to get her adult tapes from the video store and ends up coming down with a cold because she goes out Wait. in the rain to go to the Blockbuster to, to get her adult material. Yeah. <laughs> These women need the internet so bad. Um, <laughs> well, we, well, we couldn't find our adult material on the internet. We had to actually go to the video store and pay money. To get... <laughs> and also, of course, the, uh, the running gag of, of Blanche trying to find Jean a man. Like, we're going to go out into the town. We'll find a man. And Jean tries to be very, you know, thanks but no thanks. You know, without letting on that she is that she is gay, but you know, hey, it's not my thing. You know, thank you, but no, thank you. Well, she, you know, she keeps saying, well, it's still too soon, and Blanche keeps saying, well, it's been a year, and you know, maybe you should get back out on the market, and you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Finally, you know, uh, Dorothy tells Sophia, like, well, Jean is falling for rose and sophia thinks that's hilarious and then dorothy starts laughing too and blanche overhears them laughing and comes in and they finally tell blanche like well no she's she's a lesbian and she's fallen for rose and after a a funny little bit where blanche thinks they said lebanese <laughs> uh that they she finally figures it out and then Blanche is just upset because why would she fall for Rose when she could have me? <laughs> uh which that is, is even so in funnier. character for that is so in character for Blanche though. <laughs> yeah. Um I'm I'm much prettier than Rose. Why, why why would she want Rose when she could have me? They all agree to stay quiet about it. Um then you know Sophia comes down with a cold, so she needs her her room back and quarantine for five days. Yeah, quarantine for five days, wear a mask for another five days. You know, Jean and Rose stay up until two in the morning playing cards and talking, and you know, Rose says, "Well, we don't want to wake anybody else up for you, you know, trying to 
to get, you know, why don't, why don't you just sleep in my room? And Jane ends up confessing her feelings, but Rose is so shocked that she pretends to be asleep and, you know. She doesn't really know how to react to such a thing. Yeah. And so the next morning, Jean packs up all her stuff and tries to leave, but... Embar- she's embarrassed, you know? Yeah. She, she, she just confessed her feelings to someone who she already knows is not going to have those feelings back, and she's so embarrassed, she's just going to go home and just try to forget about the whole thing. It, it's understandable, but Rose talks to her, and she says, you know, it, it was kind of mean of me to pretend to be asleep but you know i i'm not good with with all this and i didn't know how to respond you know i'm i'm not gay but if i were you're very nice and i'm sure i would return your affections but i'm you know i'm very sorry that that i'm not gay so i i can't jane admits that like well i i knew that though you know so that's it's That's just for on, her again, like you yeah. said, it's been a year since her partner died. Yeah. And this is the first time she's ever felt a connection with anyone since her partner. Yeah. So she just, you know, had to do something, you know, had to say something. Yeah. But, and, you know, it all works out in the end. You know, the, they're still friends. And even though there's no romance there, you know, there's still a friendship. And, you know. And, and Rose does say that, like. You know, if you if you feel like you need to leave, then that's fine. But if you feel like our friendship is enough, then please stay because I, I like hanging out with you. And that's what Jean decides to do. You know, that, that of course, your friendship is enough. I, I like being friends with you. Um, And and that's kind of where where we leave it. You know, it's like. I mean. Again, for a show that takes that is was made in the 1980s, as you said, during that height of the AIDS crisis, for a TV show to tackle the subject of gay of gayness, you know, to, ta- to tackle that subject with more respect than most shows today do, that says something. And this was far from their only episode. Yeah. Um, this is just the one we chose to talk about because it, it centered on Rose and we, you know, we, we, we need a Betty White about, episode for this. Yeah. About Betty White. But, you know, there's, of course, the, the famous episode where Blanche's brother, uh, comes out. And then, of course, they come back to it when Blanche's brother decides to get married to his, his boyfriend. Um, and they go through, you know, should gay marriage be allowed? Um, and Sophia has her great speech about, well, when a man and a woman declare their love, why are they why are they doing that? Why do they want to stand up publicly and have a wedding? Well, why shouldn't a man and a man be able to do that, or a woman and a woman? You know, they they had several episodes over the course of the run and of course like we said they originally intended to just have a gay character as part of the show it just didn't that particular character didn't fit the tone of the show 
they worked it in as often as they could. They never played it up to uh, stereotypical means. Like, we don't have the the flamboyant male or the butch female. Yeah. And even in this one where Rose is shocked to hear the admission, the thing is, is that the only the only joke we get about it is that Rose says to Dorothy the next morning, so everybody in the house knew that Jane was a lesbian except for me. And Dorothy said, well, honestly, we didn't know if you knew what the word lesbian meant. And Rose said, well, I could have looked it up, which is really just a joke at Rose's expense rather yeah. than Jean's. Yeah, um, it's playing that, up Rose's uh, naivete. Yeah, it, and the fact that she, like Blanche, didn't recognize the word lesbian. That they both understand the concept of lesbian, just not the terminology, <laughs> which I think is kind of adorable. But, you know, all the episodes that deal with the issue of homosexuality have the characters come up against a gay person and they just go, yep, that that's a person. Moving on. <laughs> And even Blanche, who has the most problems with it, is more just baffled rather than anything else. Like, just yeah, she's jealous of the whole thing. It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> well, no, and and she says, well, I can understand. I, I know what it means, but why wouldn't you want a man? A man has, you know, parts awkward, that yeah. I like, and <laughs> that that I don't understand not not liking the things that I like. Which I think is a kind of, you know, Blanche is such an egotistical character that it's understandable for her to go, but but that's a me thing. I I like I like things. Why why don't you like the things that I like? But there's, once, a, there's a certain part of of the male anatomy that she's very fond of. Why isn't everyone fond of that part of the body? Yeah, why aren't people exactly like me? You know, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so, but once you explain to her that, like, well, no, Blanche, people are different from you. She kind of goes like, well, okay then, you know. <laughs> but I, you know, but like I said, I do like that. You know, once she understands what's going on, it's just. Well, why would she want Rose when she could have me? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, if you, if you, uh, okay, fine. If you don't want a man, at least want me. You know, <laughs> like, it's a very adorable episode for Rose and good character growth for Rose. And uh, of course, Betty White is so, so sweet in it. It's a, it's a really good, just kind of, thing for all the the characters every every character gets a really good bit in it and there's no real b plot the the whole episode is just this again other than Uh, sophia being addicted to adult movies (laughs) yeah so yeah again that was that's actually a pretty good episode again showing respect to the lgbt community so let's move on to season two, episode 21. Episode, what well, is this is an episode that I really want to talk about. Dorothy's prized pupil. 
in this episode, uh, Dorothy is tutoring a young Latino boy, a little young Mario Lopez, a pre-Saved by the Bell Mario Lopez. Yeah. So And uh, tutoring him, and um, he writes this paper for school that is of, of what it means to be an American. Talking about how his relatives would co- came to America, and the first thing that they did while in America was go to a movie, and it was the camaraderie of all of these people enjoying a movie together that made them feel proud to be Americans. And we've all had that feeling, you know, for for lack of a better term, when we go see like a Marvel movie and everyone's cheering when the, when the big hero moment comes, there's that sense of camaraderie. And that's a feeling that, you know, when her, when his family came to America, they never felt that before. And to have that, that moment in a movie theater uh, is such a big moment for him that he feels that's one of the great things about being an American. And Dorothy loves this paper so much that she's going to submit this paper for an award, uh, a writing award, a local writing award, to which Mario wins. Mario's paper is selected as the winner of this competition. But in doing so, it brings light on his family, and it turns out that Mario and his family are in the country illegally and they're there in danger of being deported and dorothy is going to fight very hard to keep mario and his family in the united states because mario really likes being an american he you know he writes the entire point of him writing that paper was how much he loves living in america and he doesn't want to go back to mexico Interestingly, I mean, you you say Mexico, but interestingly, the episode never specifies where his family is from. And I think it's done on, on, on purpose. And I say Mexico because Mario Lopez is Latino. And there's not many Latin countries that has that thing. I mean, let's be honest, that's kind of what that's immigrate uh, immigration from Mexico has been a really touchy subject over the last few years. Like yeah, was, and and I I get why that that's like the the first thing you know. Um, if it was Puerto but, Rican, it wouldn't be much of an issue. And well, and in the eighties, that's well, you know, well, I mean, Puerto Puerto Ricans are American citizens. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's you know, in the in the eighties, everybody would have immediately thought Mexican, but you know. We've had a lot of, you know, Colombian immigration. It could be Cuban. A, a, a little bit, you know, Cuban immigration, a lot of, you know, I mean, there's a there's a lot of countries it could have been, um, which I think is why it's left intentionally vague in the episode. It's interesting that Dorothy never once kind of picks up on the fact that this might be an issue because once it becomes a problem, Mario does kind of point out to her, you know, I talked about my first day in America, you know, he kind of points out to the clueless white woman, like, why didn't, you know, cause she says like, it never occurred to me that you might be undocumented. 
And he kind of pointed out, like, I wrote it in my paper. Like, yeah, it's not explicit, but my paper is all about my first day in America and going to a movie with my family on our first day in America. And she kind of says, like, well, but I never, I, I didn't really think it was like a true story. I mean, I hate to say it, but it really is a such an overlooked thing for a lot of people. Um, and, uh, you know, I, specifically a lot of white people who were born in the U.S., you know, it's just not something we really always think about. Yeah, you take it for granted. Yeah. And you have immigrants who come to the country for the first time experience what U.S. citizens experience every day. And it's just this great wonder to them. And it makes them, you know, proud to live in that live in the country. Things that, you know, again, I was born in the United States. So there are things that I do every day that people in other countries may not have may not have the luxury of doing. So they come to this country and do that for the first time. And it's this amazing, wonderful thing. But also, we don't ever want to think that. And and part of it is that you you don't want to be accused of racism either. Mm -hmm. Of the like, you know, well, how exactly did you come here? Did you come here the right way? You know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is one thing this show does as well is that we never have none of these, none of these characters are ever shown to be overtly racist. Well, I mean, we'll we'll see it to few a few future episodes that a couple of the characters are a little bit, but. The, um, as far as this episode is concerned, I'm talking specifically yeah. about this episode. Yeah, specifically about this episode, none of none of the characters really seem to to care or are upset that Mario's family came in undocumented. They just see him as a good kid. Yeah, they see him as a good kid and him and his family as worthy of being in the U.S. Interestingly, though, you do wonder if he was a troubled kid. Or a kid who didn't make good grades, or if his English was not as good, would they see him in the same way? Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, and we we never really explore that in this episode. One of the things that I found interesting about this was that the faith that the women have in the justice system. Yeah, it's like, you know, all you have to, you know, state your case and, and justice will be served and, and, and you'll be able, you and your family will be able to stay in the country. The Shirley exception. Yeah. Surely an exception will be made. You're, you're one of the good ones. But things don't, don't always go that way. And it doesn't in this episode. The, the judge says that uh, Mario and his family have to go back to their home country. Immediately. I mean, Immediately. They, they deport him like the next day. Um, the, even, the swiftness of Duff TV, of course. Yeah. But 30 minute sitcom, we have to keep this going. Yeah. But um, yeah, they say, you know, we'll go tomorrow and and we'll take care of it. Well, I'm not going to be in this country tomorrow. And Dorothy's, you know, so I'll fight for you. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure you come back. And the. The, the the thing about this being a sitcom in you know in the era at its in 
we we never kind of see Mario ever again. We never Granted, find it's, out. Yeah, we never find out. Granted, it's because again, not long after this, Saved by the Bell starts, so we'll go from there. Yeah. The subject of immigration in this episode, like I said, we they they are not afraid to tackle the serious subjects in these in this show, like from immigration to homosexuality to any and all, and we'll get to another serious subject in a minute. But uh, so yeah, this I think that's another reason why this show is so finally remembered. Yes, you have the diamond. The dynamic of these four amazing actors, but this show doesn't really pull punches. So they're really they will tackle the the heavy subjects when they need to. And I do kind of like that there's not a happy ending. And that is a little bit realistic, honestly. Yeah. Honestly, I I think that this was tackled better later on the revival of Murphy Brown. Mm. Um, There's an episode kind of similar to this where Murphy Brown accidentally exposes um, the family of, I think like an intern of hers or something. They discover that his, uh, his parents are, are undocumented and um they end up reporting on their arrest and deportation live on like christmas or something they kind of show the brutality of it um of the family being separated because the kid is a dreamer and at the the time under the rules he was allowed to stay but his parents were not and so his his parents were taken away they ended up you know recording and live airing uh what was happening to them and and showing the the effects but the the thing is is it was still kind of their fault um, because they they accidentally tipped off immigration to where this family was. Uh, and so it's it's a very similar story and it ended in a very similar way, but I think it was handed, handled with a little bit more nuance. Mm. Um, but in this, you know, Dorothy does understand that like it it wasn't her intention. Her intention was to, do a good thing for a talented writer, you know, in her class, a talented student who deserved recognition. But unfortunately, because of the system, that recognition ended up getting him kicked out and losing him the opportunity that she had hoped to afford him. And you could see the 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 guilt on her face. Like this is my fault. If I hadn't submitted his essay, he would still be in the country. Yeah. And and maybe he could have found another way. But you know, unfortunately, there may not have been another path for him. It, it, we don't know. You know. Yeah. And yeah, uh, that is a very 
heavily serious subjects. So the B plot <laughs> yeah. handles most of the comedy. And in the B plot of the episode, uh, President Ronald Reagan is in town and Blanche wants to meet the president. So she's all dolled up to meet the president. She wants to wear these special earrings to meet the president that she had said she'd let bros borrow. And everyone said, no, no, I gave you back your earrings. And then there's a whole fight over these lost earrings. And Rose says, well, to make it up for losing the earrings, I will be your servant for the time being until I can find the earrings. I know they're in this house. I will find them. But until that point, I will be your servant and do what you say to make up for the lost earrings. Yeah, and, she has she has a whole back in St. Olaf story to explain this, but it really is the old sitcom trope of we made a bet and now you have to be my servant for a set period of time. And Blanche kind of, at first Blanche like, no, I, I don't really want a servant and she's my friend. I don't want to do that to her. But she kind of gets real used to it real quickly. Also concerning the fact that Blanche grew up, grew up on a plantation. Yeah, she grew up rich with actual servants, so she falls back into that real easy. And the that plot point comes up when one of Blanche's uh, one-night stands comes over to the house saying, Oh, yeah, while Blanche was at my place, she left her earrings at my place. She left her earrings and her watch. So it turned... Uh, Rose recognizes that that's her watch. So... That Blanche did not ask to borrow. So, yeah. So, now the tables have turned. And... And, uh, you know what I said what happens when you don't... When you cross Rose? Yeah. <laughs> she gets Blanche back. <laughs> because at the end of the episode, Dorothy is so so devastated over the fact that it is her fault that Mario and her family got deported. It's like, don't worry for now. Just relax. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll make you some sandwiches. We'll put the TV in your room. You can just forget about the world. And then Nick Blanche, you heard me do, do the thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, I liked the, the tables turning bit. I also liked that at when Blanche is saying that like oh I'm I'm not sure I want all this to happen that Sophia steps in and is like well you want to be somebody's servant you can be my servant you can do all my laundry you can get things for me <laughs> I'm okay for it. Um, all right, we are going to move on to season five. Episode one and two, a rare two-parter for the Golden Girls, Sick and Tired. In this episode, Dorothy has come down with some sort of mysterious illness. She is tired all the time. She and to the and she gets so sick to points where she cannot speak. To the point where she loses her job as a teacher. We actually get a reference where one of the Golden Girls actually loses their job. It's never on screen, 
But it's mentioned in dialogue that Dorothy loses her job as a teacher because she no longer has the energy to stand in front of a classroom and at times cannot get words out of her mouth. Uh, yeah, this one dealing with the subject of chronic illness. Uh, we have talked about before, uh, you, Kiki, uh, are do suffer from chronic illness. So this one kind of, uh, you know, hit a chord for you. Yeah, this this one hit on several levels, and it was when we when we talked about doing Golden Girls. This was kind of the first episode. I was like, oh, I really want to talk about this episode. This interestingly, I I mentioned my my grandmother being a Golden Girls fan. This episode actually convinced my grandmother go, to go to the doctor, um, and start talking to the doctor and she actually ended up with the same diagnosis that Dorothy receives in this episode. So, so yeah, um, she credited this episode with helping her kind of figure out what to say and how to express herself and, and stuff when weird things started happening to her. Although I do not, share the same diagnosis um i share a very similar one similar symptoms yeah and i uh, yeah. yeah in this episode dorothy goes to several doctors even going back even going to a specialist in new york yeah to, she travels from miami to new york to see a specialist and no one can find anything wrong with her. You're perfectly fine. Nothing is wrong with you. All the tests come up negative. And they think that Dorothy is making up her illness. That They even tell her to go to psychiatrist because the illness is all in your mind. And she does. And they find nothing wrong with her. And this goes on and on and on. Dorothy keeps saying, I know that I'm sick. I cannot get out of bed some days. I cannot talk some days. There is something wrong with me and no one knows what it is. This gets Sophia worried because this, this is her daughter. You know, something's wrong with my daughter. No one knows what it is. We don't even know if she could die from this or not. And it's great acting from Estelle, Estelle Getty playing up the mother role rather than being the smart aleck, Sophia. We see that caring mother, Sophia, that we rarely see in the show, that she's worried about her daughter's health. Yeah. And we also we also get Rose, who is, you know, I believe my friend. If you say you're sick, I'm going to believe that you're sick. So I, we're going to do this together. We're going to find what's wrong with you. And Blanche is too stuck up in her own world in B plot. <laughs> and doesn't believe anything that Dorothy says. <laughs> well, it's it's more it's less that she doesn't believe Dorothy and more that Dorothy says I'm sick and she you know, Blanche has decided she's going to write a book. So, you know, Dorothy says I'm sick and she goes, Yes. My heroine will be sick. She will be sick and wasting away, but beautiful, not like you. You know, it's like, you know, and then she kind of goes off into her own little world, you know. She goes into her B-plot. She tries to write a book, and it 
kind of goes nowhere because uh, when she finally shows the, the manuscript to Rose, it makes no sense at all. Like, the story, like, it's not even, she tries to read it and it's like indes- incomprehensible what she's writing down. Mostly because she's writing it on no sleep for 72 hours, but still. Yeah. <laughs> but so that's pretty much all of the main points of the B plot. So we want to stick with the A plot here. So she goes to various doctors. One doctor is straight up mocking her. Like, you're wasting my time. There's nothing wrong with you. You're like, if you want to waste money going to doctor after doctor to tell you the same thing, go ahead. But it's not wrong, you know. You're old. What's wrong with you is that you're old. We're, you're not in your 30s anymore. What's happening to you is age. I get tired. My wife gets tired. Everyone gets tired. You know what? My, you know, It's probably depression because you're getting old. My wife had it. What she did, she went to the hairdresser, changed her hair color, and now she's fine. So that's what I recommend to you. Go to a hairdresser, change your hair color, and you'll be fine. You'll just need a change. As again, you, someone with that chronic in- illness, that probably struck that nerve on you as well. The thing is, is that um, especially, and, and I'm not saying that this doesn't happen to men because I do know men that it happens to, but if you're a woman or perceived as a woman, uh, because, you know, I I know trans friends and you know uh non-binary friends and and such that it has happened to as well but um especially for for people who are perceived as female if you go to a doctor and you're like well i'm sick and it's not immediately apparent what's wrong with you you know if they can't run a very easy test and go like oh well you know this test shows it or oh your arm is broken it's very easy to see you generally get diagnosed either crazy or if you're overweight fat or sometimes both yeah well you're the diagnosis is you're overweight lose some weight and you'll be fine yeah lose some weight um go go take some antidepressants or something um, and leave me alone. It is very demoralizing. I mean, we, we see in the episode, this episode gets everything right. I will tell you that I'm in quite a few support groups for people with chronic illness and disability. When new people come in, Especially if they're at the beginning of the process, you know, uh, and they've either just gotten their diagnosis and they're working through the the feelings or they are still, you know, they know something's wrong with them, but they haven't been able to get a diagnosis yet. Watching this is frequently recommended because it gets everything right. I it's it's really impressive how correct this is. I don't know if the writer went through it herself um, or maybe went through this with a family member. But 
bravo to her because it is exact of what this process is like, but condensed into basically an hour. It is heartbreaking the moment when when Dorothy comes back to the hotel room that she's sharing with Rose. And Rose is this talking about King Her Kong day, yeah. and, and everything. She's just kind of jabbering on about her day and Dorothy just bursts into tears uh, on the bed. And she says, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I am crazy. I, I have I have nothing to point to. I just know how I feel. I just know that there are days that I can't move any part of my body. I know that there are days when, you know, she says in the episode, li- lifting my arms just to wash my hair in the shower is too much for me. Opening my mouth to speak is too much for me. She says, but they, you know, they can't find anything. Doctor after doctor just looks at me and says, you are fine. And maybe I am crazy. You know, nobody else sees it. So maybe, maybe it's just me. And Rose has to help her assert her reality, which is so bizarre because Rose is the one that we always think of as not living in reality. You know, yeah. yeah. And Rose has to look at her and say, like, no, I see my friend and I see my friend not being able to do the things she used to do. I look at you and I know you are sick and I look at you and you tell me that you feel sick. So I know that that is true. And I will stand by you and we will go to every doctor on the planet until we figure out what's wrong that is such a powerful moment of just rose being like no (laughs) you know you 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 are going to do this thing and i will be there with you true friend true friend yeah we even get a, a sort of a crossover because we get uh Richard Mulligan as Dr. Henry Weston from Empty Nest. Yeah, there there is the the spin-off crossover there and the and the nurse as well. Yeah. I assume that because Empty Nest was following the Golden Girls at the time and this was a 1-hour special, they kind of oh, yeah. had to have, put the character there to kind of okay, you're usually watching Empty Nest. Here's the here's the stars of Empty Nest. We can move on. Well, so yeah, uh, Dr. Harry Weston gives, with what you've described to me, there's a, there's a doctor in this hospital that's a specialist in that field. I'm going to, I'm going to get you an appointment with that doctor and you're, and we'll, and we'll see once and for all what's going to, what's, what's wrong with you. Uh, Sophia kind of butters up to the doctor because the doctor is of, is Asian. So Sophia means well, but it is uh, questionable. Yeah, it is. It is super racist (laughs) but it it it, she 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 means well but it is it is very much that uh kind racism uh, Uh, i love japanese food i love japanese people japanese invented this that and the other without even knowing what 
ethnic Chi- Chinese, she says, but yeah, it's it's all that same same thing, you know. Yeah. Like you're you're all so smart and you're all so you know it's and you're just like, please, Sophia, stop talking. This is painful. And Dorothy even tries to like, stop talking, you're not helping that matters. And so the specialist says, based on what you've described and based off this, you have chronic fatigue. Uh, I guess at the time it was considered a new ailment, or at least not a recognized ailment among all doctors. I mean, there there are still some doctors that will not uh, not believe it's a thing. I, I'm 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 not gonna lie. And Dorothy is relieved. She finally knows what's wrong with her. She knows that there's something wrong with her. She knows it has a name. And she knows what to do with it. And unfortunately, there's no cure. You're just going to have to live with it. You're just going to have to not overexert yourself. And unfortunately, you know, you're going to have to learn to live with this this illness. But maybe there can be something in the future that could remedy this. Unfortunately, there still isn't in 2022. The thing is, is that... um... In the episode, he gives a definitive cause. That's not exactly accurate. Although, interestingly, he gives the cause as a virus. I will say it's no longer called just chronic fatigue syndrome now. It's called uh, myalgic encephalomyelitis. I can speak. Slash chronic fatigue syndrome. So ME slash CFS. Um, is the the current name for it? Um, like I said, this this was what my grandmother was was diagnosed with at the time. And yes, at the time it was basically a brand new diagnosis. He gives the causes of virus. the The interesting thing, um, and Tuesday has heard me speak about this privately, but we're we're dealing now in the in the age of COVID with people who are getting long COVID. A lot of my friends, I have I have several friends who are diagnosed with ME-CFS. That is very similar to my personal diagnoses as well, uh, the primary of which is fibromyalgia. Um, and all of these things are kind of very nebulous in there we don't exactly know what causes them but for all of them a initial viral trigger has been looked at for years but now that long covid is being studied a lot of us who have these various syndromes are looking at the symptoms of long covid and going these are basically all of our symptoms. And if you look at what Dorothy is being told that she has, it sounds, if you watch it today, you're, you would look at, boy, it sounds like she has long COVID before she gets her diagnosis. So a lot of us are now kind of hoping that the medical community uh, if we can ever get to the point where the medical community can restabilize and start going back to, you know, researching other things other than COVID, that we might go back and, and look at viral triggers uh, a little more heavily. 
because more and more of us are beginning to think that at some point we came into contact with some type of virus and we probably just got a mild illness at the time and then six months or a year later or something our bodies started going haywire because honestly if you weren't in the middle of a global pandemic do you remember every time you got a mild cold or a mild flu like illness no and and most people cannot because it's so common um coronaviruses in general and influenza viruses in general are so very common and now that we know that covid19 can cause these long-term symptoms the question becomes well have other coronaviruses also been causing these things in people in various forms and and so it it might be that dorothy and other people with you know cfs me cfs and people like me with fibromyalgia and stuff that we may have come into contact with something you know uh, some form of coronavirus or other virus that changed our bodies permanently and that's what's wrong with us and that now unfortunately some people who are getting covid that their bodies are changing in the same way uh and it's unfortunate it might be a breakthrough for all of us yeah um because of this now but as far as as far as the episode goes this does serve as sort of a a wish fulfillment <laughs> i'm gonna yeah. say the end, the ending of the episode they're they're yeah. they're, at a, they're at a restaurant uh celebrating ish at least celebrating that they know what's wrong with dorothy now and, and i'm going to say this probably seems weird to anyone who has never gone through something like this the idea that you would celebrate a diagnosis. But well, for those people who have been through it, getting a diagnosis, even if it's something like, well, it sucks, you're going to have to go through it for the rest of your life. But there's something called naming the beast. Mm. And being able to name the beast after not knowing what's following you and attacking you for potentially years uh dorothy says she's been sick for a matter of months like five months i think she says mm. in the episode but some people this is a process of years before they can get a diagnosis so imagine being stalked by something for years and not knowing what it is and then one day somebody says like oh that's a werewolf and finally you're like a werewolf okay silver bullets or, or you know oh it's a vampire i just wear garlic around my neck and at least it'll it'll keep it away when when i'm or only go out during the daylight and and you know put up crucifixes around my house and at least that'll keep it away from me for a little bit i'm a little bit safer now because i know what the beast is 
And it really does make you feel better. At least I have a name for it now. That's what they go through in the episodes. Like, you know, I know what I know what's wrong with me now. I know I'm, how to take I'm care of this. I'm not crazy. Yeah, I'm not crazy. Yeah. And so they go out for a nice dinner and some champagne. And they but, run into the sarcastic doctor that called her crazy and said, go to a hairdresser. Yeah, in the weirdest coincidence, that New York doctor happens to be vacationing in Miami and they run into him at the restaurant, which, like I said, is just wish fulfillment of the strangest kind. Because I think everybody who's been through this really wants to <laughs> to be able to run into that doctor and be able to tell him off. And that's what Dorothy gets to do here. She sees that doctor and she's like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to tell this guy what for. And she does. Yeah. Tells him off, you know, you need better bedside manner. You forgot why you came out, why you became a doctor. And he's, I don't have to sit this. And then, you know, the doctor's wife said, sit down. And it's like this. It, it feels like this has not this is not the first time this is this situation has happened. You know, this is not the first time that she had to hear that her husband, the doctor, had bad bedside manner. And he, she's going to make sure her husband hears this. Or maybe she had a similar experience with a doctor and just never got to confront him. Because so many women I know have had some kind of experience of a doctor not listening to them. And she even says it. If I was a man, you probably would have listened to me. But because yeah. I'm a woman, you're you've, you're you're calling me crazy. Yeah. Dorothy gets to say, you know, I I almost wish that every doctor beginning their training could have a moment where they get sick and very scared just so they know what it's like. I still have enough empathy in me to wish that on the day that you get sick you have a better doctor than you were to me and b arthur plays that scene so well yeah it, it really is i, I mean it, it it really is such a, a good and powerful moment and it it is such wish fulfillment it's so cathartic to watch if if you've ever had to deal with that situation because it it is just not everything you've ever wanted to say, because she does say that the things that she wants to say are just not, not appropriate, but they're not appropriate for primetime TV. <laughs> yeah. Um, the things you want to say in those situations cannot be said on a primetime sitcom in the U.S., but it it is something at least. And it's it's a, it's a good episode and it does really hit all the major beats. And if you've if you've never seen it. I, I really recommend that you watch it so that you do maybe have a, a little bit of understanding for the people in your life who have who have been through this, because it, it really is just such an amazing, amazing episode, uh, possibly their best and it it really has helped. A, a lot of people have, have said it, it helped them. Uh, like I said, it, it made my grandmother go to a doctor and end up with her own diagnosis. Um, it certainly has helped a lot of us in the community deal with our own feelings uh, through, throughout the, the years 
uh, and it's still helping a lot of people today. Um, it ends it ends with a great joke of them finding out that uh, Rose has accidentally ordered a bottle of champagne they cannot possibly afford, and Sophia ending up using uh, it, what she calls an old Sicilian trick of uh, pretending that the the champagne has uh, turned by by pouring salt in her glass and making the waiter taste it. And ends up getting their entire meal for the night comped. <laughs> so it's a it's a good little little tag there at the end. Yeah. Good old Sophia. And now we'll just get to the final episode we're gonna to discuss today. Season six, episode twenty-one, Witness. And um, it's weird because um both the A and B plot seem to have equal uh representation in this episode and there's also a weird c plot involving sophia's glasses yeah it's it's one that we've got um intersecting things because the the c plot is actually part of the b plot or part of the the a plot i guess the a plot is it deals with a recurring character who's throughout this season or throughout the seasons five and six. It's one of Rose's boyfriends, probably I think Rose's most recurring boyfriend in the series. Yeah. Miles who had dis- who had to go into witness protection after witnessing a, a, a mob boss, the cheese man. Yeah, the the story behind Miles is that he met Rose and they he says he's a former college professor and they hit it off very well and everything. And then she finds out that he isn't actually a college professor. He's actually in the witness protection program. And has been moved to Miami, given this fake identity as a former college professor named Miles. Not even his real name. His name was uh, Nick, Nick, I think. He's from Chicago, and in Chicago he worked for a mob boss, was the accountant to the mob, <laughs> And he witnessed a lot of crime, and then he turned into a witness, which is why the, the episode is named that, uh, and ends up in uh, witness protection. The mob boss turns up dead, though, and so he decides, like, well, I don't need to be in witness protection anymore because the guy who wanted to kill me for spilling all his secrets is dead. So you know, we can, we can go, you can come back to Chicago with me and be my wife and it'll be great. And then they find out that the mob boss is not actually dead. And so he has to go back into witness protection and leave Rose. So he has been missing for a while in this episode, but Rose has been pining for him and everything, but she starts dating again. So she's got a new boyfriend. And unbeknownst to her, her new boyfriend is the mob boss who's trying to kill Miles. 
Yeah, I mean, spoiler alert, I was I was expecting you to fill in his fake identity there because I had forgotten it. But you went straight to the reveal. Uh, but yeah, it's actually the cheese man. And that's where the plot about Sophia's missing glasses comes in. Sophia's just wandering through the episode not knowing uh, what's gone on. Um, and she gets their uh, neighbor, uh, Barbara, who is a police officer, <laughs> to look for her missing glasses. Uh, Barbara is uh, Barbara Weston from the uh, Empty Nest TV series. So we, have another, we have another Empty Nest crossover episode. Yeah, your, your Empty Nest crossover for, for this. They did a lot of those in these seasons. She's she wanders around mostly unable to see throughout this episode, which becomes a, a plot point. Miles shows up during the course of this episode and says, uh, you know, he's he's dressed as an Amish man. It says that he's been hiding out with the Amish um, yeah, as, as, a, as Samuel, as Samuel. Um, and that he really hates it, and he he wants to come back for for Rose. He misses Rose and everything. And it turns out that, like you said, her new boyfriend is actually the the cheese head in disguise, but not really. Who who finds Miles? Uh, gets all of them at gunpoint. And it's only when Sophia uh, puts back on her glasses when Barbara shows up and says, I found your glasses. Like They the, were outside. <laughs> they were outside and uh, like the neighbor's cat got them or something, I think. I don't know. But uh, she puts back on her glasses and immediately goes, hey, look, it's the cheese head. I saw him on America's Most Wanted. They joke around about how it was the most watched episode. and You know, but he's holding them all at gunpoint and... Uh, Sophia, uh, Rose says, oh, well, Barbara's a cop. She's going to arrest you. And they they have a whole back and forth about Barbara says, well, I don't have a gun on me and everything. And waits until the cheese head put, lets his guard down. And then it turns out she does, in fact, have a gun on her. She just lied. It's okay to lie to bad guys, Rose, because Rose <laughs> is very upset that she lied. Um, and Rose says, well, see, there's just so many things us civilians don't know. I just... <laughs> You know, Barbara says, well, uh, call the station, tell them to send back up and I'm going to need some handcuffs. And everybody just immediately turns to Blanche and stares. And then Blanche goes, OK, fine, you can borrow my handcuffs, but be careful. They were a gift, <laughs> which is probably the best joke in the entire episode. The reason we chose this episode is for the B plot. Yeah, the B plot to this one is really good and much, much better than the A plot. Um, the A plot is just uh, tying up the long-running thing about uh, the Miles. Miles storyline. Yeah. Yeah. The B plot, however, deals with Blanche and Blanche's southernness. Blanche wants to join the uh, Daughters of the Confederacy. I think they call it in this one, mm -hmm. which is a social group for women who have southern heritage pure southern heritage pure southern heritage and as as part of their initiation 
they have to present their research their family tree and present it and read it out in front of the group to prove how pure their confederate and they do use the word confederate uh heritage is and they show at the initiation ceremony that if anybody takes umbrage to your heritage you know one woman says oh well i know that you know that ancestor of yours used to sell horseshoes to yankees so you know boo to you 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 know you're not fit to be in the group you traitor you know mm-hmm. but in in researching her pure southern heritage blanche finds out that she has not only a yankee ancestor who was born in buffalo new york but that her Yankee ancestor was actually a Feldman, a Jew. <laughs> so you've got two big reveals in, in this in her heritage. And Dorothy just makes fun of her for the for the rest of the episode, calling her Yankee Doodle Dandy, and you know, humming bits from from her uh, from uh, Fiddler on the Roof. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at her. But I kind of wanted to talk about this because if you do not live in the South, you may not realize that this is a thing. Like, I don't know. Tuesday, did you realize this is a thing? I did not until uh, we were doing research for this episode. Yeah, these groups are a thing in the South. And... While the way they portray this kind of initiation ceremony of, like, you know, reading out your family tree and stuff, you know, like, okay, that that may not be, like, exactly the way it's done. Yeah, this bit about, like, the family trees and and proving your pure heritage and stuff, for some of these groups, yeah, that's, there are slightly more mainstream groups that try to do the whole, like, well, you know, it's all about historical preservation and things like that. But, yeah, there, there are groups like this, okay? And they kind of, they kind of dance around it, you know. Let's not mince words. Like, Blanche is joining a very genteel white supremacist group in this episode. Like I said, it was only for that one episode, not the whole thing. Yeah. But but uh yeah, yeah, this is just a pure let's say pure southern, pure white. Yeah, and, and yeah, and, and that's and, why finding the not, you know, they they say, "Oh, it's a Yankee." The fact that she finds a Jewish ancestor is not an accident. Okay, that that's what the group's really going to take offense at, at the end of the day. It's a very well done episode, because like I said, they do kind of dance around the topic. They say the thing without saying the thing. My father had been approached by some of these groups at one point and, you know, asked if he wanted to join the, the kind of, you know, male version of some of these groups and when he said no you know a man asked him like what's what's wrong you know didn't you have ancestors that fought for the south and my father's response was yes and i consider that an embarrassment every single day (laughs) Um, (laughs) which 
did not go over well. <laughs> I mean, we, we see that in real life. I mean, that's even today. There are yeah. groups that, you know, show, uh, that on the surface saying we're, we're about culture, we're about our ancestry, we're about history. pride. I mean, that they they say history. That is what they are there to, you know. Heritage and stuff like, you know. It's, it's, yeah. It's, this is our heritage. And it's really just, you know, we're, yeah. I mean, I I, I don't want to go too deep into it, but yeah. And Blanche, she kind of gets it by the end of the episode. She tries to say, you know, yes, my great my my great grandmother was a Yankee. Yes, my great grandmother was Jewish. But aren't we, you know, I'm still Southern. I'm still here. I was born here. You know, I'm just as much Southern as anyone else here. But also, you know, we're all Americans. Certainly we all, you know, I'm, yes, it's more of a I'm trying to cover my own butt to get into this group. But she does make valid points, even if she's doing it in from a selfish point of view. Well, the thing is, is that she very quickly realizes what the group is about because she says the things that they claim to be about. She says, I don't want to read my family tree. I want to tell you what the South means to me. And the woman running the group says, no, we need your family tree. We don't care what you think about the South. Yeah, we, we don't care what the South means to you, family tree. Yeah. And then she starts to read the family tree, and then she says, like, well, yeah, I had an ancestor who was a Yankee, but that didn't matter. And they're like, no, 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 it matters. And then she goes like, well, yeah, my ancestor was Jewish, but it, it, the the point is she came down to the South and assimilated into the South. Yeah, no, 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 she didn't. She very quickly realizes that all that veneer that this group is saying about history and culture and heritage that doesn't matter because that is absolutely Blanche's heritage. Mm -hmm. Like we said, she was raised on a plantation. She was raised rich. She talks, we, we skipped over it in the previous episode, but in one of the previous episodes we watched in the episode about immigration, she talks about her father running down a horse thief on a horse, dragging him to the courthouse her having to choose between a cotillion dress, you know, does she want to wear the cotillion dress to testify in court? You know, I mean, these are very Southern things of a specific type of Southern, mm -hmm. namely rich white Southern, you know? So she has all of the markers they are looking for, but she's got that one quote unquote stain to them in her family tree. And that's what they care about. Yeah. She even says, like, you know, why do we need to have these prejudices? Why can't we all accept each other as, you know, daughters of the South? And it, it's like, no, it doesn't matter. No. Yeah. You have, this, and, you, you have this blemish in your family history. You are not welcome. And and the thing is, is that when she starts defending herself, notices that she uses the word American, but they don't care about American. They care about Confederate and newsflash for anybody who doesn't actually understand history. Confederates 
weren't American. That was the entire point of the war. That was, yeah, we had we an entire war we, about this. We don't, we don't want to be American anymore. We want to be the Confederacy. You, you go be America. We're, we're, you go be the United States of America. We're going to be the Confederate States. Okay, that's like we had a whole war about that. And in um, one in one final act of defiance, Blanche says, "You lost a war. Get over it." Yeah, that, and that's that's her final parting shot, and that's what causes the the rest of the girls to stand up and applaud, like because they are not into this. The rest of the girls are not. They won't be there to support Blanche because Blanche is their friend and everything. But they are not into this. And there are people. The other women in this group are fainting at the mere thought of anything that Blanche is saying on uh, at this podium, because, like you said, it's not about how much you love the South or how much it means to you or or anything about that. It matters what your bloodline is, and if you have that blemish, they don't want you and. Her being defiant, telling him to where to stick it, it's just, how dare you? Yeah, and it's really sad because, you know, the point of those groups are not about love of place or love of culture or, you know, love of history even. It's about love of purity. And I'm, you know, we we talked about how Golden Girls is not afraid to shy away from... You know, no subjects, yeah. Those subjects, and here they are talking about another one of those subjects. I mean, they and and I think they knew it. You know, they have this character who is so very proud of her southernness, and you know, talks about her days on the plantation, and they realize like we do have to address this at some point, and this is them addressing it. There's one, okay, since we're finished with this one, there's one note I want to say before we wrap this up. Is that during the production of the show, and even after the show had ended, um, I don't know how to put this nicely, but when when Betty White passed, obviously, you know, oh, uh, the other Golden Girls will be there on the other side and will welcome her and, and blah, blah, blah. Um, B. Arthur did not like Betty White. No one knows why. Even Betty will admit to this. Like, B. Arthur did not like her at all. Granted that they were professionals. They worked with each other. But B. Arthur famously did not like Betty White. And no one knows why. Some have possibly the only person on the planet who didn't. Yeah, because there was there were interviews with with B later in life, and she would go on and on on how, you know, Estelle was so wonderful, and Rue was kind, but when it came to talk about Betty White, she said, "Well, Betty's a C word. That's all I'll say." That was her final word on Betty White. B Arthur said that. Betty is a C word. And so far, she seems to be the only person to have ever said anything bad about Betty White. I don't know. I don't know. Not even Betty White knows. (laughs) Well, the the interesting thing is, is that B. Arthur 
son did kind of talk about this. And her son said that his mother always seemed to need someone at work that she had beef with. (laughs) It was weird. He said that he didn't know why, but that his mother seemed to need someone on a set that that she could turn into her nemesis. And that on Golden Girls, it seemed to be Betty White. And that it was possibly because they had different acting training, like polar opposite. I had heard something like that, that it was just because B was very much classic trained method actor, very serious about about the profession. And Betty was always very lighthearted about the profession. And they just clashed over that. Betty was very improvisational. She was not afraid to play with an audience because she came from like live TV variety mm-hmm. shows and stuff like that mm-hmm. um, where it was permissible to break the fourth wall, to play with your audience and stuff. B. Arthur was much more a theater actor where you do not do that like no matter what happens that there is that separation b arthur was was kind of that that similar portrayal to dorothy kind of off off camera too Mm -hmm. uh from what i hear and betty white was a very uh, optimistic positive playful dare dare you say perky kind of person that would probably get grading i guess to somebody with that more serious uh attitude and so that may have also done it i i'm not sure how much of that was like true hatred on b arthur's part and more just you know how there are some people where you're like, I can be around them, but I don't want to g- go out for drinks with this person later. Mm. You know, and, and maybe that that was B. Arthur's thing. And then it just kind of became a, a joke, like a bit, because she did have that, have that kind of dry wit. I, I don't know. It, it does seem to be kind of odd that the one person that seemed to have something bad to say about Betty White was V. Arthur. Who knows? Even the bad things she had to say about Betty White were so tame. It was just kind of like, I I don't like, she's a professional, but I don't want to like go on vacation with her, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. Which is a very mild thing to say. Like, if that's the worst somebody can say about you when you're gone, you've lived a pretty good life, you know? And, you know, uh, it's been said, you know, Betty White lived to 99 and two weeks shy of her 100th birthday. Be the kind of person that you live to 99 and people say you still died too soon. You know, we didn't, we tried to do, because we've talked about doing a Golden Girls retrospective for a little bit now. 
And so we wanted to do just a, a blanket, you know, kind of overview mm-hmm. of some episodes that we really wanted to talk about. So we didn't do like this wasn't a deep dive on Rose, mm-hmm. but it is Betty White's birthday. You know, mm-hmm. this this episode is coming out on what would have been Betty's 100th birthday. I want to say that between Rose and Sue Hannon, you know, maybe Mary Tyler Moore show is owned by Disney now. So maybe we'll do a, a Mary Tyler Moore. Maybe. A Sue Hannon retrospective at some point. Two of the more interesting uh, female characters on TV and couldn't be more different. Just such an interesting woman. And uh, she's, you know, if you want to do something in her memory, it's been asked that uh, you donate time or money or something to either one of the animal charities she personally supported or just to your local animal rescue. To be honest, the the local animal rescues probably need it more right now. I know that uh, she had talked about that she wasn't afraid of death because she knew she would be going back, or at least she hoped. Uh, She said she she never claimed to know anything for sure, but she hoped that wherever she'd be going after death, that she would be back with her true love, her husband, Alan Ludden. And so every time I think now, I just uh, keep thinking that uh, hopefully she got to to see him again. Until then, this is Alan Ludden saying the password tonight is... Home. Will you take me home, please, Mr. Ludden? I certainly will, Miss <laughs> Ludden. Thank you. I don't think it really needs to be said, but we're going to do it anyway. Kiki, does the Golden Girls have the magic? Absolutely. Agreed. Absolutely. This show still is funny all of these years later. When the yes, some of the episodes, some of the jokes don't quite stick. Some of the jokes are, but most of the jokes still land, and they land hard. And I'm sat, I was sitting here watching these episodes. And I just found myself laughing my butt off, just remembering how funny this show was, how how amazing these four women are. And just if you have never seen the Golden Girls, do yourself a favor. And if you're in the States, it's on Hulu. You can watch it. If you're in other countries, it is likely on Disney Plus. Go and watch it. Do yourself a favor and watch this great classic sitcom you will not be disappointed so let's move on from uh talking about four women to talking about three men because well, four four <laughs> four okay fine four we're counting the other guy we're counting because uh next week we are talking about the Three Musketeers, that is the 1993 Disney version. All for one and all for love. Yeah. So join us for that. 
Rest in peace, Betty White. You will you will always be missed. And uh, we will talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye. And Tuesday. Yeah. Thank you for being a friend. Thank you for being a friend. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And of course, new episodes every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it.